0: You are listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Well, um, I want to briefly share from you from Psalm 68. Um, it's, I'd, I'd like to pretend I planned this, but uh, it just so happens that um, Psalm 68 speaks a lot to what's going on in our world today. Um, what, what do we do in times like this where we're seeing bombs going off in Israel and we're seeing innocent people get hurt and die and then go, I thought we served a God that was powerful and loving? Because it doesn't seem like it. If he was powerful and loving, then why would this happen? It's a thing that Christians have wrestled with for centuries. So if that's you, if that's been stirring, you're not the first person to wrestle with that. And we really come down to about four options of what do we do. We either say um, there is no God, which biblically we can't do, obviously. But that's one option is people go, there must not be a God. Because if God was good and God was powerful, then there would be only good things in the world. So some people then just take one of those attributes away. They say he's powerful, he could do something about it, but he's just not personal and loving, meaning he just doesn't really want to. Or it could be that he is, um, he's not powerful enough. He's personal enough, he's loving enough, he wants to do something, he's just not powerful enough to be able to do it. Some people go that route. And biblically, here's what we're going to see, and I'll show you very briefly, that you see there is a God that God is powerful, that God is loving, and yet at the same time, things like this happen all over the world. Let me just show you biblically what we need to know about God from Psalm 68. It says, O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing praises to God. There is a God. uh, He is worthy of uh, of having praises sung to him, and he is the God of the universe. Verse 33, To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice, ascribe power to God whose majesty is over Israel and whose power is in the skies. The idea of um, the God who rides in the heaven, that's the idea of power. This is, um, if you think Israel's history, they have the exodus where they are, they are having an exodus. They are leaving from Egypt and the Israelites go across and then it says Pharaoh now brings his army and the, the sea collapse, collapses on them. And it says specifically, and on their chariots. And it's a symbol of God just crushing the Egyptian army. So the chariot is, is the... Um, it's a sort of weapon of war that would give you a huge advantage in their day. And so I love the image that he gives of you've got the, the, um, the other chariots of all the nations that they're fighting, and then there is a war chariot of God in the heavens that is over all the powers of the earth. That's what he's saying. He's using this poetic language in the Psalms, but that's what he's saying. And it says it doesn't just say he rides in the heavens. It says the ancient heavens. Meaning that it's not just um, God is powerful at certain times and sometimes he loses his power. This is from the, from the time it says the ancient heavens, from all time, God rules and reigns and is powerful over all. This, isn't a, um, this was big in mythology that there would be a God that would be great for a season, but then what if he got overthrown, and you know, it was raining really good, so the rain god must have been on his throne, but then all of a sudden it, it didn't go as well, and so it's a, there's a drought, so they would say, well, that god must have gotten, there must have been like a coup, and so this god must have overthrown them, and so now there's a bad god, so now there's no rain. This was very common in the ancient world. Sometimes even today, people will go that whole Christianity thing, that God thing. That was good for a season, but now we need to update our Bible. We need to update God. We need to think completely differently about him. And the Bible just keeps saying over and over and over, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has been powerful always. He is powerful, and he always will be powerful. It says, ascribe power to God, which your translation might say, um, give power to God, which sounds sort of strange, like, so God has power, but then we have to give him some, or the Israelites have to give him some, or something like that, and that actually isn't, isn't what it's talking about. It's a really, it's a strange word. It's used in Ezekiel, especially about um, this idea of ascribing or giving, and it is saying um, give, like it's used with an inheritance, If somebody is the rightful heir, then nathan is the word. Nathan them, give them, or ascribe to them what is due them. It's also used as a legal term, where it is uh, somebody commits a crime, and so you ascribe to them, you give to them whatever their deeds have merited. And so really what this is saying is not like God needs us to go to give him some of our human power or anything like that. It's saying he has it all, and our job as worshipers is to understand that he is the powerful one, to, to declare his power, to recognize the power that he has, to, to, to declare his power based on who he is and what he has done. And it says he is riding the chariots across the skies, I love the image here. He sends out his voice, his mighty voice. And um, you know, the image that at least I find most frequently in the Bible that is associated with the voice of God is thunder. It comes up all the time. And you see this like, like you see um, like even little children, um, you'll see uh, um, like thunder hits and I know it's loud and it's jarring. (laughs) But there's still, at a young age, there's, an, there's something added to it because there's a mystery. Because they don't, maybe don't know the, I mean, I don't know the science behind it. But we know, I know there's some science behind it that makes it happen. But they don't know the science behind it. So they just hear it. And it's loud and jolting. And then at the same time, there's a mystery of what is this. And so it can be terrifying for a kid. And so the ancients would listen to the thunder. And they would just assume that whatever god they worshipped is mad. They would assume this is the rumbling voice of God. It's all throughout the Old Testament. Psalm 29, uh, the voice of the Lord is over the the waters, the God of glory, it says, thunders. In Exodus, the people gather around the base of Mount Sinai and uh, Moses is about to go up and get the Ten Commandments. There's a trumpet blast, it says, and then it says, now Mount Sinai, this is Exodus 19, was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke And God answered him in thunder. Job, going back and forth with God. God wants to make sure Job understands his place before him. And so he says, He says, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you, Job, an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? Now we don't have to tremble at the sound of thunder because we kind of know what's going on. The idea here in this psalm is when God speaks, the enemies of God ought to tremble. Because God is all-powerful. But it's not just that. And I do picture, like, if they're singing this psalm and they're singing it at the temple, and I picture, like, a little kid with their dad kind of getting a little freaked out, Going, wow, God sounds really big and perhaps even mean, and he's like the general that leads the army, and you wonder, like, what are they thinking? And then that dad would maybe tell the kid in verse 35 he's not just powerful, God is also personal. Awesome is God from his sanctuary. He just said, that God that rides the war chariot in the heavens and is sovereign over every nation and every kingdom, and always was, is now, and always will be. Look, we have the sanctuary. The idea is God has dwelt among us, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people, and then it says, blessed be God. My wife got about as fired up as I think I've ever seen her recently. We were talking about um, our Advent series, because Advent's coming up here in a month or so, and I had... Uh, I, I, The temptation for pastors is you want to come up with something like super cool and creative and all that. It's just a weird thing we have to deal with. But um, we were talking, I was like, I don't know, I just want to talk about Jesus Christ, the light of the world, which is like lifted right out of scripture. So it's not like super profound. Jim came up with that, but I just went, man, that's what's on my heart. So I think we should talk about, and she goes, okay, well, you know, why? Tell me more. And I started explaining it, and I, it started it as a good idea, and then I was just kind of over here saying a bunch of nonsense, and it, was, it wouldn't have been good. Be glad Nikki was in the room with me that day as I was trying to plan this. And, uh, and she, she got so fired up, and she, she nicely said, don't do any of that. Here's what I want to hear. And she was talking as someone who is part of our congregation she said, if you th- I'm going to paraphrase, but she said, think about those first Christians under the shadow of the Roman Empire, and it was they and they alone within the Roman Empire, the Christians and the Jews, the followers of God, that are getting persecuted. I mean, you talk about a dark, dark time, and God didn't sit back and go, well, that stinks for you, Christians. Christians. He looked out and he saw the darkness and he sent his son, the light, the Lord Jesus Christ, to invade the darkness. That he left the comfort of heaven and as vile and as terrible as Rome was, they couldn't put out the light. And as much as he could have just sort of stayed up there and gone, this thing's for you, he said, I'm not leaving the people in darkness. I am going to break into the darkness. And he came as a light in the darkness. And I'm just, I couldn't write fast enough. I think she wrote all my sermons for me right then, talking about Advent and thinking about the light in the darkness. And I think about this, this um, tension of God being powerful yet personal, and I go, they are coming together at that first coming of Christ, aren't they? That he is looking and going, there is a powerful force of evil in the world. It is dark in the world, but I am stronger than that. And then the darkness is there, and instead of just sitting back and being aloof, he rushes to our rescue. The gospel is like that as well, that we have a God who's powerful, who is furious with sin, and at the same time loving enough to forgive us so much more than we deserve that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, that he's pers- that God is powerful, he is also personal. He is personal enough to care about you that you don't have to worry that if you are in Christ, he is not going to one day say, whoops, I missed you, I'm sorry, there's been billions of people and somehow I just missed you. If you are in Christ, he knows the very uh, hairs on your head, he will not miss you. He's personal enough to give you his people that have asked this question before. Because I know there's people here probably that are going, how is God good and powerful? And how in the world does this happen? And so oftentimes we jump to one of those. Is God really real? Maybe he's not powerful. Maybe he's not loving. And the fourth option, the Bible just screams over and over, Old and New Testament, is there is a God. He is powerful. He is also personal. And at the same time, stuff like this happens. And we go, I don't know, and I have to throw up my hands sometimes. And in his grace, he has given us his people that we can sit with and we can walk through these times with. And so oftentimes in the midst of mystery, in the midst of wondering, our response is I have open loops about God I don't maybe understand and so I pull back and pull back and I'm going to encourage you to stay close to him and stay close to his people. I'm not on social media a whole lot, but I I was just curious what people were saying about this. And I actually, I I went on, I looked, and Tim Tebow said something I thought was um, pretty interesting. Um, He was, I thought wise at first, by the way, that he said, you know, he, he didn't say anything immediately, which I thought was wise. And then here's what he posted on, I think this is Instagram. He said, I've been praying and wrestling with what to share for days. What do you say in a time like this? I keep coming back to our hope being... In Jesus, I found myself feeling shocked, heartbroken, and in disbelief for the horrific reality so many people are facing. My heart breaks for Israel, the Jewish community, the Middle East. My heart breaks for those suffering and hurting. We need prayer more than ever, and we need God. Together we can find strength and comfort in focusing on his promises and his truth. See what he's doing? He's saying, press in to God in the midst of the mystery. And then he says, you are near the brokenhearted. You save the crushed in spirit. You rescue the weak and the needy. We pray for all who have and continue to suffer. We pray for protection. We pray for those who are hurting. We pray they feel your presence and that you fill them with your peace like only you can. We continue to put our trust in you, God, and you alone. What do we do in the midst of this? God is powerful. God is personal. Stay close to him and to his people.